So John 8, I'll begin reading in verse 47. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus says, Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets, yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Why don't we pray together? Father, I am thankful for your word. It is precious to me and it is precious to your people who are gathered here. In it, we find the words of life. They are biting and convicting and penetrating. As we read earlier from Hebrews 4, but they give us life. They give us what we need. They reveal you. They reveal your Son in all of his radiant glory. And I pray that you would make him shine now through the work of your Spirit in the proclamation of the truth. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, Rachel, my wife, came home from the women's book study on Thursday evening. And we were sitting on the couch together that evening, uh, kind of reviewing all that that she had learned and what the Lord had been teaching her. And one of the things she shared was that Jesus' response to the people around him helps her respond rightly to our children when they don't always want to obey her words or follow her instructions or listen to her voice. Jesus never stopped loving people when they didn't listen or obey his voice. Rather, he continued speaking words of life to the people, and he loved them unto death. And because Jesus had done that for her, she was now able to do the same for our children, patiently bearing with them, offering them words of life, 
and serving their eternal good in Christ. I was really encouraged by her words as a husband and as a father. And let's face it, I got a free intro to this sermon. Because despite the unbelief in the hearts of his own people, the Jews, despite the horrific slander coming out of their mouths against him, you half-breed, demon-possessed man, despite that their scheming to murder him as he's talking to them, Jesus continues to offer them words of life. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Jesus speaks so that his enemies might have life. Some of you might be an enemy of Jesus this morning. You really don't want to be here. You don't care anything about hearing his word. You'd rather be doing something else. Jesus hasn't, made it, hasn't, hasn't ever made any sense to you anyway. You don't know why he's such a big deal to people. You might be his enemy this morning, but that doesn't keep Jesus from offering you life in these words right here. It doesn't keep him from extending to you life, true freedom from the death that plagues you even as we speak. The death that you cannot escape without knowing him and trusting him. You might already know Jesus this morning. You're not his enemy. You've come to know him as your friend. who laid down his life for you. These words are spoken to you too, to give you life as well and keep you holding on to Jesus in the face of one of our greatest enemies, namely death. The truth is that all of us need deliverance from death. The Bible says that death is a covering that is cast over all the people's It's the veil that is spread over all nations. Isaiah 25, verse 7. It also tells us that sin, when sin entered the world through one man, Adam, that death then spread to all men because all sinned. Death plagues us all because we're all such sinners. And it's not just physical death that threatens us, but spiritual death as well. God created the soul of man to thrive on life with God. And yet because of sin, the soul of man lies dead in rebellion without God unless it is made alive in Christ. And even then, Those of us who are Christians have to admit that the thought of death isn't always a pleasant one. It still hurts us. It still challenges us. It calls our bluff. It makes us face where our treasures really lie. And that makes Jesus' words really important to listen to this morning for all of us, not just some of us. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. If this is God's answer to how we might escape not just physical death, but spiritual death above all, it would do us well to understand what Jesus means. And the way I had to go about it 
was asking myself some questions about the text. And there are four questions I want us to answer. All of them are absolutely crucial if you never want to see death. Number one, what is Jesus' word? That's the first question. What is Jesus' word? In verse 51, Jesus says, If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. This is now the fourth time Jesus mentions his word in chapter 8. The first was in verse 31. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Then again in verse 37, you, will seek, to, you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. Again, in verse 43, you don't understand what I say because you cannot bear to hear my word. And now we run into it again in verse 51. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. So we've already seen that this is a word, a message, that must be welcomed by Jesus' true followers. And it must be heard with faith such that it takes up residence inside us. But what is the word exactly? What is this message? Well, we've been here before, so let me just summarize. When you look throughout the Gospel of John, whether you look at what Jesus says to his enemies or or his opponents around him, uh, or whether he speaks to Gentiles like the Samaritans in chapter 4, or whether he speaks to his disciples or whether John himself identifies Jesus' word explicitly at times throughout his gospel, what it is. What we see is that Jesus' word refers to what he reveals about himself and his mission, and how his person and mission come to affect our lives if we are to be saved. Jesus' word, in the singular, is a collective reference to all the utterances he makes about his person and his mission, as well as their authoritative implications for our life. God the Father has sent us a message through his Son. Hebrews 1, he has spoken to us in a Son. He not only sent his Son as the message, Jesus is the Word of God made flesh, But he also gave his son a message to deliver to us. His message discloses his his person. He tells us who he is as the only son sent from the father. And his message clarifies his mission. He tells us what on earth he's actually doing. He came to die for sinners and rise again to glory. And that message has authoritative implications for our lives. We must submit to them or we perish. That's what Jesus himself says in chapter 12, verse 48. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge, the word that I have spoken to him. He, that word, will judge him on the last day when we stand before the judgment seat of God. So that's our answer to question one. Jesus' word is basically the message God gave him to speak to us about who he is and why he came and how his person and his mission must affect our lives if we are to be saved. Sometimes we sum all that up in the word, the gospel. The gospel of our Lord, the good news. Second question. 
What does it mean to keep Jesus' word? Jesus says, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. So even here we see that Jesus' word requires a response. And there are only two responses. You're either already not keeping his word, or by grace you've learned to keep his word. To this point in John's gospel, we've seen again and again that without God's intervention, we're a people lost in the darkness, going about our evil deeds, and not really willing to listen to anybody's word except our own and the devil. And that of the devil, that's what we learned last week in chapter 8. There aren't any fence riders, in other words, when it comes to keeping Jesus' word. We're either not keeping his word already or by grace we've learned to keep it. But what does it mean to actually keep that word? It must be similar to abiding in Jesus' word, which is what he said back in, chapter, in verse uh, 31. If you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples. They can't contradict each other. They've got to complement one another. And the keeping of Jesus' word is fleshing out what Jesus meant by abiding. In his word. And there are a couple of other places in Jesus' teaching where it becomes very clear of what Jesus means by keeping his word. Look with me, real quick, at chapter 14, verse 15. Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And now jump down to verse 21 of chapter 14. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Now verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my words. So same as his commandments there. My word, will keep, he will keep it. And my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. And then one more verse. John 15 verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. So we even get an example, an illustration from Jesus' own life of what it looks like to keep His Word. To keep His Word looks looks a lot like His life, as He kept His Father's Word. So from those four, four verses, we can see... What Jesus means by keeping his word. Keeping his word grows out of a heart of love. Grows out of a heart of love that's in love with Jesus. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Keeping Jesus' word means more than simply knowing his words, but actually doing them and obeying them. It's not enough simply to have the commandments that he said. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, we must do them. It is he who loves me. So it's, not, it's more than simply knowing his words, but actually doing them. And then lastly, keeping his word means we come to love the goals of his words. Namely, abiding in God's love, which is a love not only for God himself, but also a love for our neighbors. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, he says. So keeping Jesus' word means that out of a love for Jesus, 
I submit to what he says about himself and his mission in order that I might abide in the love of God. So when Jesus says, you must be born again, that's a command, you must be born again, we say, make it so, Lord Jesus, inside of me. When he says, repent, we say, show me how and lead me away from everything that's hindering me from seeing you rightly. When he says, come to me and drink, We lift up our empty cups and we say, fill them with life. When he says, listen to what I say, we say, give us ears to hear. When he says, take up your cross and follow me, we say, let there be no limits to what you claim on my life. When he says, do not be afraid, we say, help my faith and teach me how to trust you. So to keep Jesus' word basically means we obey everything he says. And everything his person and work imply for our growth in God's love because we love Jesus himself. Let me mention just one clarification before moving to our third question. God's grace enables imperfect people to keep his word. God's grace enables imperfect people to keep His Word. We know, just reading through the Gospel of John itself, that these disciples of Jesus don't have it all together. They're not perfect. They messed up, even in their following Christ. They were confused at other times, and at other times way too self-confident. And yet Jesus says in his prayer in John 17, verse 6, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. He's talking to his father. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. These disciples, they have kept your word. So if you're here today and haven't kept Jesus' word perfectly as you should, don't leave here thinking that there's no hope for you. There's so much hope for you because the grace of God extends to the ungodly and enables them to keep Jesus' word in ways that will in fact suit them for heaven. Don't leave paralyzed by your failure to keep Jesus' word. Confess it to God look to His grace and pursue keeping Jesus' word. You'll never keep Jesus' word if all you're looking at is your own inability to do so. But you will keep Jesus' word if, having admitted your inability to do so, you then turn to God's grace to help you. Now, question three. Why must we keep Jesus' word? To have life. Why must we keep Jesus' word? What's so, what's so great about Jesus' word? In particular, that we must keep his word to have life in somebody, instead of somebody else's, like the Pope, or Joseph Smith, or Muhammad. I mean, these Jews want this answer from their perspective. Jesus is nothing but a demon-possessed religious heretic 
pretending to be a Jew that honors God. They even say in verse 52, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets, yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? They want answers. Abraham and the prophets had received God's revelation. They too encountered God and spoke God's word to God's people. And yet if they died, then what makes Jesus any greater than them? Even to say that keeping his own words will safeguard people from death. That's not something the prophets were doing. The prophets weren't saying, keep my words. The prophets were saying, keep God's words. Jesus comes in and says, keep my words. And you will never see death. So who is he? The Jews have missed the point, of course. They're thinking merely along lines of Abraham's bodily death and the prophet's bodily death. And we'll see in a minute what they're missing. But their objections give opportunity once again for Jesus to proclaim who he is and why they should listen to him. They should keep Jesus' word first off because Jesus honors God fully. Jesus honors God fully, something they're not doing themselves by rejecting the word of God coming through Jesus' mouth. Verse 49 says, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father. Jesus then says in verse 55, that he knows God truly, unlike any of the Jews he's speaking with. You have not known him, he says. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. That's fairly biting. If I were to say that I do not know God, I would be a liar like you who claim to know God but really don't, is what he's saying. But, he goes on to say, I do know him and I keep his word. The constant testimony throughout the Gospel of John is that Jesus knows God like nobody else knows God. Because he has dwelt with God for all eternity, relating to God as his Father in perfect Trinitarian love and harmony, he knows God perfectly and knows his will infinitely and never does anything outside the will of his Father ever. Even every word that comes out of Jesus' mouth honors God to the extent that chapter 3 says Jesus utters the words of God. Every time his vocal cords move, there's immediate authoritative revelation coming out of his mouth. No prophet in Israel could ever lay claim to that. He always honors God, honors his Father with what he says and with what he does. In fact, Jesus' point in verse 50 is that his ultimate concern is not with what these Jews make of him. It's it's not a matter of, you demon-possessed man, oh yeah, well... No, he, he doesn't care what these Jews are making of him. 
The only thing he cares about is what his father thinks of him. And how his father will be the judge on the last day. I don't seek my own glory, he says in verse 50. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. I'll leave it in his hands. We should keep Jesus' word because Jesus alone honors God fully. Something else. Jesus is the goal of all of God's purposes in creation and redemption. He's the goal of all God's purposes in creation and redemption. From the beginning of creation in Genesis 1 to the end of history in the new heaven and the new earth, Jesus has been and will always be at the center of God's purposes. Nothing came into existence apart from Jesus. We know that from John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and not one thing that was made came into existence apart from Him. Everything in the grand sweep of God's saving purposes also converges on Jesus. We know that from the way John forges link after link after link after link. With the way Jesus fulfills the Old Testament promises and sacrifices and ceremonies and institutions and images, images and prophecies and feasts and leaders and special days and all the kingdom plans. And everything will eventually be summed up in Christ when he utters his voice and all who are in the tombs come out. Some to a resurrection of life and others to a resurrection of judgment. Jesus' day was planned from the beginning. And we even get a glimpse of this whole thing in what he says of Abraham in verse, 40, in verse 56. Even Abraham knew of Jesus' day. Verse 56, your father Abraham, centuries way before Jesus, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day, he saw it and was glad. The centuries-old promise first given to Abraham to bless a multitude of peoples and nations through his unique son finds its center point in Jesus. Partial though his knowledge was, Abraham saw Jesus' day by faith and it made him glad. The glimpses of glory that Abraham saw had now spanned the course of history and found their focal point in the person of Christ. Jesus is the sun in the solar system of redemptive history. He is the axis on which everything about God's plans spins. If you had a connect the dots coloring page, you remember these, right? And all the points on the page represented God's promises and purposes and events throughout the Old Testament. If you connected every one of those dots, you would be left with one of the most marvelous, rich portraits of the person of Jesus Christ shining in all of his radiant glory. That's what the book of Revelation is about. 
but that's, another, that's for another day. I don't know about you, but I'd say that if God chose to write a story and did so entirely around his son instead of us, then who are we to question it and who are we to ignore it? It's a supremacy that's only known to Jesus. And therein lies where we would find our ultimate significance to begin with. His story defines our story. Another reason why we should keep Jesus' word in particular. The Father has determined to glorify His Son. Jesus isn't seeking to get glory from these people. He doesn't need their praise and their acceptance. The only glory He cares about is that which comes from His Father. Verse 54. If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God, but don't really know Him. In John's Gospel... It's, always, it's the Father who's always glorifying the Son. And, that, and this glorification of the Son happens in two ways. One way is that God glorifies His Son by giving Him works to do. The greatest of which, of course, is His sufferings and His cross. And all of those works and His cross are meant to display the worth and the glory of Jesus it's meant to show us here on earth what, who He really is and what He is like. So He glorifies His Son by displaying that Jesus is truly glorious. And He also glorifies His Son by clothing Jesus with splendor. The splendor that He had with His Father in glory before He came to earth. And we see both of these peppered throughout the Gospel of John, but they both come together before Jesus dies in chapter 17. And in verse 1 of chapter 17, Jesus is praying, and he says, Father, the hour has come, that's his hour to die, glorify your Son. So glorify me. Show my worth through my sufferings And then verse 5 of chapter 17, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. Let me just say that if the God of the universe is committed to glorifying you like this, displaying your infinite worth and beauty through the works that he gives you to do on earth, and then clothing you with the infinite splendor you deserve and actually possess with Him from all eternity, then I'd say you're a pretty important person. You're a pretty important person to listen to, if that's true. I would even say, as John has said elsewhere in his Gospel, that such a unique person would have to be God Himself. And Jesus doesn't shy away from making that claim either. In verse 58... The Jews get fed up with his claim that Abraham anticipated his day, and so they ask, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And without missing a beat, Jesus answers, Before Abraham was, 
I am. I am. Not I was. Like, just wait right before Abraham. No, I am, period. Throughout all history and all eternity. I am. It's the same phrase that's applied to Yahweh, the God of Israel, throughout the Old Testament. You might be most familiar with it when Moses encounters God at the burning bush. Whom shall I say sent me to them? And God responds, tell them I am has sent you. I am who I am. Deuteronomy 32, I am, this is God referring to himself, I am, there is no God besides me. I kill and I make alive, I wound and I heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. Or Isaiah 43, I am, before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. We keep Jesus' word because Jesus is the great I am. He is God incarnate. Can we say any more than that? Wow. And there's more to say. Yes, we can say more than that. We can say more about why we must keep Jesus' word in particular because the one son who always honors God fully with his life, the one son on whom all of God's redeeming purposes rest, the one son whom the Father has determined to glorify, The one son who bore the name I am from all eternity with his father, well before Abraham was wearing diapers, this son is going to the cross to meet death head on for sinners, take that veil that's cast over all the peoples of the earth, put it on, suffer for the sins that brought it on to begin with, and then rip it to shreds when he walks out of the grave three days later. There's plenty more to say about this Jesus. Plenty more. No son of Adam in the history of the universe has been able to defeat death save one, Jesus Christ our Lord. He has no record of sin that could cause him to die or that could keep him dead because he always honors God fully and he is himself God sent from above. The death he suffered wasn't for his sins, but for our sins. That's why he died, and that's how he delivers us from death, because of our sin. And he rose again to ensure that every person united to him will know the same victory over sin and death that he knows That's why it's so crucial to keep Jesus' word in particular because Jesus' word unites you to Jesus who defeats death for us. You're going to sing a song after I'm finished and part of that song goes like this. Behold him there, the risen lamb. My perfect, spotless righteousness. The great, unchangeable I am. 
the King of glory and of grace, one with himself, I cannot die. It's crucial to keep Jesus' word in particular because Jesus' word is what unites you to the person of Jesus. It gives you relationship to him. And he's the one that defeats death for all his followers. So why must we keep Jesus' word in particular? Because he honors God fully. He's the goal of all God's purposes. The Father's committed to glorifying him. He is the great I am And he's the only one who defeats death for his followers. One more question I want us to answer. Namely, what does Jesus mean by the promise he will never see death? He doesn't give this promise to everybody. It only belongs to those who keep his word. But even for those who keep his word, like many of us, it can still be a rather puzzling promise since we know so many Christians who have died. We've been in their hospital rooms while they are keeping Jesus' word to their final breath. We've experienced the loss and turmoil when death takes our loved ones away. We've visited the graves of our believing family members and friends who were sold out for Jesus. We read of Christians still being martyred for their faith. So what do you mean, Jesus, when you say that the one who keeps your word will never see death? From what I can see, it looks like they are seeing a lot of death. One of the things we have to remember is that this account of Jesus comes to us in the context of John's gospel And thus, we should expect that whatever Jesus is saying likely develops some of the themes that John himself has already mentioned in his gospel. There's a particular message about Jesus that he once conveyed. And sure enough, throughout John's gospel, there are the two contrasting themes of life and death. And more specifically, eternal life and eternal death. For example, John 3.36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, which is another way of saying he shall see eternal death. And here's what eternal death entails. The wrath of God remains on him. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. What is not seeing life? What does this eternal death entail? The wrath of God remains on him. So if you don't have eternal life, then all you're left with is eternal death, spelled out here in terms of of the wrath of God remaining on you for your sins. But if you have eternal life, by virtue of your faith in Christ, your union with Christ, if you have eternal life, it means the wrath of God no longer remains on you for your sins, and you actually have something positive. It's not just wrath of God's been removed, 
You've got something positive in you. Life that's, phys- that's filling you. Not physical life, but spiritual life. We know it's not physical life because those who had the wrath of God abiding on them are alive physically. That's removed. What fills them? Life. Spiritual life. Keep that in mind as we look at another helpful text. Uh, John 5, verse 24 to 25. You can go there with me. John 5, verse 24. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Same theme. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So, not coming into judgment and having eternal life is equivalent to passing from death to life. John is saying, coming into judgment is characteristic of eternal death. Eternal life is characteristic of the life he's talking about here. Eternal life is the opposite of sitting and waiting for God's condemnation. It means there's, there's uh, eternal life means there's no more haunting judgment to worry about for your sins, but only new life to enjoy. It's not a life that we even have to wait to experience sometime in the future after the judgment but actually a life that's given now, it's given to enjoy now. We see that made even clearer in verse 25 of chapter 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here. We don't don't have to wait for it. It's here in the person of Christ. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead, that's the spiritually dead under God's wrath, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. We know it's the spiritually dead because he talks about the physically dead later on in verses 28 and 29. Everyone, when the dead hear the voice of the Son of God, those who hear will live. Very similar to what we see in chapter 3, verse 36. So what do you think Jesus is talking about in chapter 8, verse 51? He's talking about never seeing eternal death. Never experiencing separation from God. His work in the cross and resurrection also deal with physical life. We don't want to neglect that. That's why Jesus rose bodily from the dead and why he promises to raise us bodily from the dead. His work in the cross and resurrection also deal with physical life, but that's not the primary focus here. The primary focus here is that Jesus promises spiritual life to all who keep his word. Later on, Jesus will actually bring together both the physical life that he gives us at the resurrection and the spiritual life that he gives us now in one bold statement to Martha. 
when Lazarus had died and was laying in the tomb. John 11, verse 25 and 26. He tells Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, physically speaking, yet shall he live. Meaning at the resurrection on the last day. Though he die, his body lays in the grave, yet shall he live when I raise it up. I am the resurrection, right? Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And then he goes on to say, everyone who lives, spiritually speaking, now in the present, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. He is the life. Very insightful for understanding chapter 8, verse 51. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. So yes, our bodies die and lay in the grave until resurrection day. But Jesus also says, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So no, even if death takes our bodies to the grave, it cannot ultimately snuff out the life of a believer. Ever. You don't see it as clearly in the, in the English here, but the, uh, the Greek behind verse 51, if anyone keeps my bird, he will never see death, is, is the equivalent of, he will never, ever, ever, ever see death. He will never, ever, forever see death, is what it literally is. So it cannot, death can take our bodies to the grave, it cannot snuff out the life of a believer. And you know why? It's because in his death on the cross, Jesus absorbed God's wrath for those who trust him, for those who keep his word. The eternal death that we've been contrasting with eternal life, the eternal death that we deserved, he took that on himself for us in our place. He suffered it so that we don't have to. And then, in his resurrection life, he sends the Holy Spirit who becomes in us a well springing up to eternal life. And you know how Jesus sums up that eternal life? He sums it up like this in John 17. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That is eternal life. He prayed that for all his disciples before he bore God's wrath in their place so that they might truly live with God. That they might gain the Holy Spirit who mediates the life of God to man now. The fellowship that they will enjoy with God in unshielded glory in the future, is mediated to them now in the present through the Holy Spirit. When Jesus says, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death, what he means is that death can never rob us of our fellowship with God. 
Death might take our bodies to the grave temporarily to sleep there for a little while. But death cannot break our fellowship with God when we're united to Christ. Even when our body lays in the grave, we still have God. So when Jesus promises that the one who keeps his word will never see death, what he means is not that the physical body will never die, but that the soul of the believer will never have to experience death, the death of separation from God. As one writer put it, Christians possess a life which physical death cannot extinguish. If you're a believer today, death is really behind you. It's behind you. Even when your body gets old and gives out on you in the end, you will not be handed over to death. You will only be granted more life with God and glory. I was thinking on the way into this building this morning of Acts 7 and the death of Stephen when he's stoned to death by those who hate him and he looks up into the heavens and he sees the glory of God, Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of God And what's he say? I mean, right before they they kill him, what's he say? I'll read it to you. As they were stoning him, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. His life didn't end there. They didn't kill him. He went to see Jesus, the Son of Man, standing at the right hand of God. That's really good news for those of us who keep Jesus' word. But I must be faithful to God's word and add that if you refuse to keep Jesus' word, the promise doesn't belong to you. If you don't keep Jesus' word, you will not be handed over to life. You will only be handed over to the consequences of the spiritual death that already plagues you. Only separation from God and eternal punishment wait for those who reject Jesus' word. But the reason these things were written, the reason why we have the Bible is that God wants you to believe now before you die physically. They were written that even today you might enjoy fellowship with God and freedom from His wrath and joy in a union with Jesus. So don't take these words for granted. The most devastating part of this passage is that these Jews want to stone the Son of God who offered them life. If you want to escape death and know God, trust that Jesus is speaking the truth here and obey Him. Don't listen to your flesh that tells you that there's other things in this world that can offer you better life, that can satisfy you more than God Himself can. I will readily admit that what's in this world can give you some measure of satisfaction. That's true. Maybe for 80 years, and then nothing but hell. But if you're a believer, you won't won't only have God now in this life and enjoy Him. You get Him forever. So come to Him. 
Trust him. Don't, don't neglect these words. None of what's in this world will give you the life you were created to enjoy or remove the threat of death from you. Jesus does both. He gives you the life you were created to enjoy with God and he removes your threat of death. And if you already keep Jesus' word, if God has given you a heart that loves Jesus and longs to see him honored through your life, remember that you need not ever fear death. When you see people dying and death closing in on you, the devil will hit you with all kinds of temptation to hinder you from keeping Jesus' word. But Jesus' promise, right? Take it from the mouth of God, the I am. Jesus' promise ensures that death has no claim on you. Even when it takes your body to the grave, it has no ultimate claim on you. As a person, it doesn't even have ultimate claim on your body since Jesus is going to tell it to get out of the grave on the last day. When he puts death as his last enemy under his feet. But you should also be reminded here that the fellowship with God you now experience through Christ can never be taken away. The death of your body will only mean the fellowship gets even sweeter. And if that's the case, we have many words to encourage each other with as death comes upon us, as cancer has its way with our body, as thoughts trouble us over what will happen when we die. If we're in Christ, death never wins. Ever. And we can spend our days now preparing each other to meet death with faith. Keeping Jesus' word isn't vain vain in this life. Its, Its reward of fellowship with God is incalculable. If every provision has been made for you to have God, whom you were once separated from, at the cost of God's own Son, now you've been given God. If every provision has been made for you to have God and death can't take that away, then what is man whose breath is in his nostrils? What is this world if it's taken from us? Why do I need to fear other people or the circumstances around me? Why do I need to fear loss of anything in this life if I have God himself? We have words of life to speak to each other here. Moreover, we also have words which will strengthen us in the laying down of our lives to see Jesus' name spread among the Muslim and Hindu peoples of the world, many of whom don't want you to come. We have a promise in verse 51 that you ought to lock tightly away in your chest pocket. You know Pilgrim's Progress. Get the key out of your chest pocket. The promises of God hidden there. Gets him out of doubting castles. Is that right? Doubting castle, I think. You have a promise to lock away in your chest pocket when the days of persecution come. Are you aware that Islam is the greatest, is the the fastest growing religion in the world right now? 
And that parts of the world that once knew Christian revival are now experiencing persecution for preaching Christ at the hands of a Muslim-controlled government. I heard that from the mouth of a pastor experiencing it overseas two years ago. I wonder if a similar day is coming for us. But I am certain, I don't have to wonder about this, I am certain that we have people in those places now and we have more people who are going. So I say this not to frighten you, but to put some skin on Jesus' words when that day approaches you and people want to take your life or lock you up for keeping Jesus' word. Keep his word and there isn't a torture chamber or jail cell or wicked leader who has any power over you. You have passed from death to life already if you are united to Christ. And God will be with you in the life. God will be with you in death. And he will be with you after death. Nobody can take that away from you thanks to Jesus Christ. That means we're totally free to love without fear and to lay down our lives for the glory of Christ's name. If death has no say over us, we can respond to our enemies the way Jesus has responded to his enemies. When he continued offering them words of life, continued bearing with them in love, and then laid his life down for their eternal good. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you would come and make the life of Jesus Christ part of us, that you would make his word part of us, part of our being so that we follow him day in and day out. I pray that as we keep his word, the promises will just continue to ring true in our hearts that we will never see death. Christ has gotten victory over death and that means we need not fear the loss of our physical life or fear that anything in this world will separate us from fellowship with you. Come and root this in us that we might lay down our lives in ministering to others. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.